Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. School of Humans. I want to recognize the devastation that India is facing with the pandemic. As a country that has given astray so much, we're giving back to organizations assisting Indian civilians right now. My co-producer Ankita Anand has suggested a few organizations that we've listed in the show notes. Last episode, we followed Charlie Marinelli's trip to the edge of enlightenment in India. And that was supposed to be the end of Astray, until Charlie told me about Datora. A psychoactive nightshade which he thinks might have led to a psychosis. But he only suspects this because he witnessed what he believes were the dangerous effects of Datora firsthand. It was scary to see her like that. I mean, I was like, what the hell? What is going on here? Charlie is commenting on the American woman in Psychosis Who He Helped, a story we covered in episode 8, but we're bringing it up again because of a possible connection to Datora. It was August 2019, a month into his stay in India, when he ran into this woman at a cafe. I could tell immediately that something was off. And I, I had the manager come over to me and he was like, hey, we got this American woman. She won't leave. Like, she's just kind of sought refuge in this cafe she keeps requesting like the music to be turned down you know she was freaked out and and she was kind of like looking for a safe quiet space which the cafe is not she was reacting to the music and chatter of the cafe and was visibly disturbed when anyone approached her to charlie she seemed paralyzed like she couldn't leave the cafe or was too scared to she had a blank stare in her face. I mean, like I said, I I don't even know her name. After Charlie mentioned this woman in episode eight, I asked him to track her down for an interview. But like he says... She couldn't tell me her name. And, and when I first talked to her, I, I went over and she wasn't really talking. I just asked her, I was like, can I sit down? She just kind of like nodded. And I, I sat down next to her and I just started, you know, talking, hey, I'm... You know, I'm from America, too, and, you know, what's what's going on? And 
and and there wasn't much information that she was giving me. It was just kind of like, I mean, the lights were on, no one was home. At the time, Charlie was hanging out with an Austrian guy who had been living in India for eight years. He had traveled from Austria to India with a terminal cancer diagnosis, healed himself there, and with his passport expired, he just stayed. One of the many who fall off the grid in India. And I trusted the guy. He was, you know, very intelligent, knew something about everything type of guy, just had information, just a lot of information. He, he said it, he was like, it, it looks like Totora. The Austrian automatically identified this woman's erratic behavior as a reaction to the poisonous and psychoactive nightshade, Datora. And, and he gave me the whole rundown of how, like, the yogis will give it to people that, that aren't going far enough in their opinion what does that mean uh they're they're not having as as deep of a spiritual experience as they hope they're they're not going inwards enough they're not they're not making progress in their opinion they're not making it to the next level and so the satora will be used to take these people to the next level precisely the way that I understand it is it's used as like how I would use psilocybin to get to another level, but it's a much more intense psychedelic and is used without people's knowing because it can just be slipped in food, tea as well. Charlie managed to get some information out of the woman. She had traveled from Hawaii to India to attend two back-to-back silent yoga retreats, and was participating in a dry fast during the second, which might have set her off. But according to the Austrian, what was going on with this woman didn't look like a response to her conditions or a lack of sustenance. Her behavior looked like the effects of something far more dangerous and deadly. Datura, the nightshade this woman was allegedly altered by, is a trumpet-shaped flower that blooms in a variety of colors. It can be pure white, purple, a golden yellow. It blossoms in a shrub found in ornamental gardens or growing wild along roadsides in India. And because it's common there, it can result in accidental exposure. Though there are times its potent toxin is used intentionally. The entire plant is poisonous, from the roots to the seeds. Though according to an article in the National Library of Medicine, The most concentrated levels of tropane alkaloids are found in the flower's blooms and seeds. These tropane alkaloid properties include hyoscyamine, atropine, and scopolamine, which when used separately with an awareness of dosage, can help aid anything from digestive issues to motion sickness to Parkinson's to heart problems. But when these three are combined in a toxic trio, they're deadly and can easily lead to psychosis. When I was looking for stories about people who had been dangerously affected by Datura, I found one reported in Vice about a man in Romania who, after consuming Datura seeds, fell into a deep sleep. But when he woke, he didn't know if he was awake or in a nightmare. He experienced terrifying hallucinations of monsters chasing him. And like Charlie, he didn't see things as they were. At one point during his episode, he was desperately trying to find his girlfriend and what he thought were train cars, but were actually bushes. Eventually, he found out that he'd been drugged by some guys who had robbed him. They took everything, but left him in a psychotic state he barely survived. 
As he said in the article, under the influence of Detora, you can't really tell whether or not you're awake and could easily jump in front of a truck. Detora can be ingested, smoked, or absorbed topically in something like a lotion, and it can be used against others without their knowledge, which is something Charlie pointed out earlier. From what he had heard from the Austrian, Totora is used on yoga or meditation retreats to get people to go deeper, further, and hit this edge of enlightenment that, as we've heard, is psychosis. Though I couldn't find someone to talk to in the yoga meditation world with experience around Totora, I did speak to a shaman from Costa Rica, or a contemporary corendero, which is what Alberto Roman prefers to be called. Alberto is very aware of the potential dangers of Detora in ayahuasca circles. Ayahuasca is, is considered the vine of the soul, in some cases the vine of the dead. So most people who drink it, one of the experiences that they will consistently share is a connection, communion, with something beyond their ordinary awareness that is fulfilling and deep. Ayahuasca is an Amazonian brew that originated among indigenous communities in South America. As a curandero, Alberto leads people through these ayahuasca ceremonies. So when I do a ceremony, I, I treat everyone there as if they are shamans themselves. Because typically, in the old days, you know, there was a woman or somebody who would drum and chant and dance and receive some sort of information about what's happening in the habitat or they would drink a potion and from there dispense wisdom. But now everybody wants to drink. So when I bring people into my circle, I tell them they're, they're self-shamanizing, not only for themselves, but for the group. So there's a level of accountability and responsibility that they have to also meet me at. But not all corandero or shamans have a moral compass like Alberto. That's when Detora comes into play. There has been a lot of controversy among people in, in this horizon around the use of Datura because at certain doses, it can have benefits, dosage and intention. Like anything else, curanderos and curanderas are not gurus. These are people also in a process of understanding who they are. They can be seduced by the money, by the power, by the status that's being brought to them by different cultures. And so when you mix ayahuasca, which is really, you know, two main ingredients, uh, the ayahuasca vine and the chacuna leaves, then you have the traditional ayahuasca experience. Now, some people, when they add the tura, they open up a space where the, where the participants is a little bit more suggestible to the influence of, of curanderos or curanderas who, who might have either good intentions and think that the tura will, will accelerate a process or might use it to suggest to a woman to have sex or to, you know, bring more money to themselves. We've always had that in any tradition, you know, there's always, there's always people that appropriate the lineage for their own, their own gain. So it's not only a problem or a challenge within our communities, it happens in Zen, you know. You know, the West Coast is always full of scandals with the Zen masters that all of a sudden have not dealt with their with their shadow on sexuality and intimacy and get all the boundaries confused. So the Tura, it can be very, very dangerous. So, you know, it's all about dosage, but there's enough of a discussion in the community around it 
that is proven that there's too many people that are have walked into the tradition without really spending the requisite amount of communion with these things, you know? Alberto, could you speak to like more of the effects of Detora when it's used or when it's OD'd? It's, it's so horrific. So you just kind of go into this dark space. Sometimes you're, you're talking about larger doses and you're, you're immobile. Immobile is how Charlie described the American woman at the cafe. He said she was paralyzed, like she couldn't leave the cafe, which is what a soporific like Detora will do. You can have beautiful visions and you're also more, more suggestible. So when somebody tells you something or feeds you something, information, you're less likely to challenge. This makes me think of Baba G's influence over Charlie. Like it was stated last episode, he was a puppet on a string. So Detora, like any mind-altering drug, can be used as a form of control and an abuse of power, which is a dynamic that can easily come into play between a student and teacher, or a follower and their leader. Power is the capacity to affect and be affected. There's a positive side, side to power, which affirms, liberates, is active, and there's a negative side to power, which typically hinders, hampers, and restricts. So I think the, the, the brujos, the dark magicians, what they're doing, ultimately, if we use that, that example of power, is they're, they're restricting your capacity to be free, to live, to be liberated, to be active, to activate all your, all your potential. They're, they're keeping that within a certain, a certain range for their benefit. Tatura is not only abused in some spiritual ceremonies, in an article published by Wilderness and Environmental Medicine, it's been called roadside poison when it's baked into a cookie or another digestible and offered to unsuspecting devotees attending Hindu festivals like Holi and Shivaratri. The effects of the Jatora forces people into a suggestible state, which has in some cases resulted in their being robbed or sexually assaulted. Is Jatora as common a threat in India as it seems? I asked Ankita about this. I have heard of the plant. I've also seen it very commonly growing in the wild. Whenever I see a Datura plant, my first thought is, this is a plant which is supposed to be a favorite with Lord Shiva. I regularly see it being offered in Shiva temples. And the second thought is, this is poison. According to Hindu religious text, Datura is believed to have emerged from Lord Shiva's chest after he drank the deadly poison halal. This makes sense seeing that Shiva is the god of death and destruction. Because Datura is associated with Shiva, the plant is regularly offered but not consumed at Shivaratri, the annual festival honoring Shiva. Now people drinking bhang or what you call bang over there to get a high is very common. But I do not know of anyone personally who has ingested Datura maybe because of how deadly it can get. I was talking to someone who has spent a lot of her life in villages, and she said that some people who like to stay high 24-7 would use a couple of Datura seeds along with whatever else they're taking for their high. But it is clearly not something people are as casual with as they are with some other natural intoxicants like bang or bang. Do you know anything about Datura being used in these Hindu festivals? Again, no, uh, it's bang or bang that is used in Holi, but I have not personally seen Datura being used in festivals. I actually read last year this newspaper report 
that said that around three people in a family got really sick because they put the tura seeds in their juice and they drank it because someone had told them it can cure them of covid and they got really ill after it and they were rushed to a hospital and thankfully they were saved but this is how we hear of the tura when someone tries to bring it into their daily life i mean as a child it was grilled into me that you will see this plant around and just know that this is poison so when you listen to charlie's story with baba g do you think that it could be possible that he would have been drugged with detora from his account he did seem drugged not in his usual state now i can't say if it was tatura that was being used to have some kind of hold over him only a medical expert can qualify that but if there is someone who has been using plants for ingestion regularly and knows that only a certain amount will get deadly and not beyond that they could have used it it's definitely a possibility this is known first as something fatal and then as something that is an intoxicant so basically if someone possibly baba g had a knowledge of dosage with detora they could use the plant as an intoxicant to affect another person whom they wanted to control but would have enough awareness of the plant's potency not to kill them after the break we'll hear what charlie thinks was he drugged by detora or was it something else entirely Hey girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season 1, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent 9 years in Gail's grave and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season 1, like my producer Anna. Oh my god. My friend Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister Elaine Katz. Having no closure. It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> What? I can't believe this. Listen to season 2 of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now, and if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Charlie Marinelli got something out of his visit to India he wasn't prepared for. A psychotic break. He had never been diagnosed with mental health issues in the past, nor had he taken anything that would induce such a long episode. But to Torah... I mean, it can last six months. It can never go away, but it can last six months of psychosis. Charlie's psychosis lasted two months, not six. But it was two months too long. Why do you feel like you might have been slipped to Torah? It just adds up. The Torah makes sense because, I mean... Even being on heavy antipsychotics after the fact, I was still in a psychotic state until I got out of the, the hospital in Austin, until I really got that, that dose of lithium for a week. Charlie describes this lithium dose as a chemical lobotomy. And then I started coming out of it, but I was still so confused up until that point and just thinking that I was I was controlling a whole lot more in my surroundings than I was. The timeline makes sense. We're wired as humans to connect a cause to an effect. So to say that Charlie's psychosis was an effect of Detora makes his surreal experience make sense. And knowing this information could prevent us from falling into the same trap. But like the other stories we've covered in Astray, this is a gray area. We don't definitively know what triggered Charlie's psychosis, just like we don't know what happened to Ryan Chambers, who presumably had a reaction to the anti-malarial drug he was prescribed, or Justin Alexander Shetler, who allegedly trusted a bad sadhu, or Jonathan Spallen, whose disappearance is surrounded by endless possibilities, or Russell, whose body was found, but his cause of death remains a mystery. There is no conclusive cause behind the disappearances of these men. But there is one thing we know. India syndrome didn't have anything to do with it. Why isolate India? This is New Delhi-based therapist, author, and international speaker on karma and consciousness, 
Susie Singh, who I spoke to about black magic in the last episode. As a listener of Astray, Singh has insightful thoughts on issues that have been raised in the podcast, which she shared in an interview with Ankita and me. What about the craze for shamanism in Peru and the ayahuasca tourism in South America? There have been reports of people who died after consuming the hallucinogenic teacher plant. So perhaps the term should be seeker syndrome, not India syndrome. When Singh redefined India syndrome as seeker syndrome, it so clearly articulated what I've been examining in the podcast what it means to be a seeker, and how far one is willing to take that quest for enlightenment. But it also shed light on my own compulsion to seek. As seekers, we look outside ourselves for answers, which can lead to profound experiences, and, as we've witnessed, can also lead to dangerous ones. But what if the answers we're seeking aren't outside of us at all? So how would you advise people to trust themselves more as opposed to looking outside of themselves for answers? So the first principle in the search is to know yourself. People think that they know their mind, but that is one of the hardest things to do. One needs to start by observing your thoughts, your self-talk, your constant judgment about people and things, your beliefs behaviors, triggers, hot buttons, likes and dislikes, the coping mechanisms and fears, and practice with this regularly so that you can understand what is making you suffer. Because what we are really striving to do is to give up the suffering. The second principle is to own responsibility for finding your own truth. Whether it's enlightenment, whether it's healing, we cannot Expect that to be done by a second or third person. You must make it your own responsibility to find your truth or to find your healing because that's the only way that will motivate you to work upon yourself. And the third principle is never give your power away. Learn to question things. And a true teacher will always take the trouble to explain it to you. A false teacher will subject you to authority and demand your trust. Trust, however, even by a teacher must be earned. When it's given without proof, what the other is doing is taking your power away. They are taking away your power to think, to discern, to say no, to walk away, to protect yourself. Never trust anyone blindly. Do your checks on the person you wish to follow. Always follow and trust your own intuition because you do have what I call an inner guide. And that guide awakened you to your own quest. How can you not listen to your own inner guide? For women especially, I would say never meet Babas alone. The funny thing is, women know this and yet they continue to do it. You know, regardless of what claims these Babas make about healing you, and this applies for people who are highly respected in society, it applies for people that your family may not trust very deeply. I've had many incidents myself where I have been asked to sort of meet in private and I have always said no. So it's very important that we do not fall into this trap because we have to understand there's a whole spin-off industry related to spiritual healing, so we should not walk into any booby traps here. Singh also mentions being weary of taking food or drink from spiritual teachers, especially if you've just met them. 
or being initiated into any spiritual practice you don't have awareness or understanding of. When we are really yearning for enlightenment over some answers, of a spiritual response, we are very suggestible and we get very excited like little children in a toy shop when we find someone who seems to know more than we do or who promises us more than we can imagine. But be patient because nothing is going to accelerate your growth like your own spiritual practice will. So trust in your own practice more than trusting in some third person to come and make it happen for you. When Singh was 15 living in Jaipur, a Baba appeared outside the gate of her home. He was wearing a string of holy basil beads around his neck, which he removed and with no words exchanged, handed to Singh through the bars of the gate. She immediately put the beads on, and when she looked up, he had vanished. This exchange activated something in Singh. She started hiding in the quiet of the house's storeroom so she could meditate, something she'd never done before, but she now knew advanced meditative techniques after the brief interaction with the unnamed Baba. Because of this, the Baba ended up becoming one of her greatest teachers. In all cases in my life, I've had the teachers appear for me, come to me. And I have always told my mentees, test your teacher before you thrust your life innocently into their hands. And never give your power of discernment away to another. This is a mistake a lot of people make where they will blindly say, let the teacher decide for me what I should do. And they call it faith. Like Siddhartha says, your first requirement on the path is the ability to think. Siddhartha, a character in Herman Hesse's 1922 book by the same name, is on his own spiritual journey to self-discovery, which unfolds in the book. And he says that on this spiritual path, the number one requirement is one's ability to think. That is something that they must never give away, because then you will not see harm coming. You will not listen to your intuition. A lot of the times we find that there are people who are, who are in very authoritative positions in large organizations and they're very well presented and they speak very eloquently. The greatest of gurus speak very little, but their words ring with truth. There is one word these gurus are familiar with, and we've used it a lot in Astray, and that's enlightenment. After the break, Singh clarifies this term, but first she asks a simple question. Why are you seeking enlightenment? Why do you want that enlightenment? Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure 
it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As a seeker herself, Singh has a firsthand relationship to the quest for enlightenment, and she survived two near-death experiences on this journey— which enabled her to have an even clearer understanding of what it all means. Most people seek enlightenment to escape their suffering. This is one of the key reasons why they fall victim to false gurus and meet with dangerous consequences. People want instant nirvana. Everything today is, I want an you know, over-the-counter kind of, just give me a drug, just give me a pill that will make me feel peaceful, that will make me feel instantly better. But that's addiction. That is not enlightenment. That is not spirituality. Spirituality is about doing the work. And it's called work for a reason. It's called work because it feels like work. The work is the hard stuff. The issues we avoid that keep us up at night or have haunted us our entire lives, throwing us into the same patterns we relive until we're too damn tired to. Only then are we ready to do the work. Asking for help, going to therapy, joining a recovery group, finding spiritual guidance through a vetted teacher. 
This is about sitting with our shadow, the dark stuff we don't want to look at, but finding awareness and understanding around it. That's the work. From someone who's a practitioner herself, I can tell you, is terrifying. It's hard struggle. It's about struggling against yourself. It's about battling your own bad habits, your own tendencies, about not getting provoked. It's about someone insulting me to my face and me wanting to react sharply and yet trying to hold on to my center and my peace. In that moment when you're triggered, it's very, very hard to do that. But that is the practice and that is the struggle. So it's not comfortable and beautiful. It's extremely uncomfortable. And uh, like I said, it's a continuous battle. So what Singh is saying is that enlightenment is not a quick fix, nor is it a destination. Enlightenment is a gradual process of purifying one's consciousness. It unfolds through intense inner work, quite like water coming to a boil. And once the boiling point is reached, the transformation occurs. A teacher can only guide you, but the inner work of transforming harmful habits, resisting damaging tendencies, creation of virtues, building of capacities, intensification of your aspiration, dissolving the ego mind. All these have to be done by the seeker himself. So if someone is promising you enlightenment, be warned that it is deception. In 1986, when I was training under Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. Sri Sri Ravi Shankar was one of Singh's earliest spiritual teachers. He said to me, Susie, I can open the window and point you to the moon, but I cannot get you there. You will have to make that journey yourself. So enlightenment is a process and one the seeker has to be their own guide for. Ankita, would you still consider yourself a seeker after doing Astray? Yeah, definitely. I remain a seeker even after doing this podcast. Our hectic life today does not allow the inbuilt time, space, and encouragement for someone to sit, contemplate, introspect, meditate, or take a mental health break. And that's why seeking becomes such a thing. Our mental and emotional health needs get postponed and suppressed to such a point that we feel the need to drop everything and desperately look for answers outside. If anything, this podcast has reinforced to me that seeking, questioning, openness of mind, curiosity, and understanding new things need to be on our everyday to-do list, not just on our bucket list. As always, Ankita's response is thoughtful and succinct. But this question wasn't as easy for me to answer. In reliving Charlie's story with him, and speaking to others who've experienced similar psychotic episodes in India and other countries, I've observed something about all of them. These seekers do not view their psychotic breaks as being solely harmful or scary. One person I spoke to, who wanted to remain anonymous, said her psychotic episode didn't happen to her, it happened for her. It's given her a deeper awareness of herself and the world around her. And in doing so, it was empowering. Charlie has said the same thing. I know this is a skewed way of viewing an experience that most of us would consider terrifying, but it makes me think of Plato's allegory of the cave. In the allegory, prisoners who have been confined to a cave from birth are chained, facing a blank wall. There is a fire behind them, 
and when an object passes in front of the fire, these prisoners classify the object's shadow, perceiving the shadow as an actual entity. So the shadows are the prisoner's truth. One of the prisoners is set free. He's led out of the cave into the sunshine, which initially blinds him. As he slowly adjusts to the light, he's told the objects around him, trees, birds, people, are real, while the shadows in the cave are an illusion, just a reflection of the truth. Excited, the free man returns to the cave to tell the prisoners about what he's learned. When he enters the cave, his eyes don't adjust to the darkness, so he can't see the shadows that the prisoners are still identifying as real. When the free man tells the prisoners what he's discovered outside the cave, they're hostile and resist his trying to free them. So this newly awakened man leaves the cave, free, but alone. Plato's allegory shows that, like these prisoners, most people are satisfied staying in their comfort zone and can be resistant or reject anyone who points this out, sees things differently, or just wants to escape the cave. Charlie relates to this. I have to say that probably the, the biggest cost for me that I think I'm still struggling with is being discredited by my family and being kind of treated as, I guess, lesser comes to mind, treated how people with mental illness in America are treated. It makes you wonder to such a deep level of what your reality is to you and why other people won't accept this reality and go farther than not accepting it, but ostracizing you for it. Though Charlie's dad, having traveled through India with similar intentions to Charlie, is more aware of what he's going through, it's been harder on the rest of his family, who are understandably concerned about Charlie slipping back into psychosis. But if we look at the free man who escapes the cave as someone like Charlie, who's awakened to a new reality that others might not understand or want to understand, a reality that can be isolating but also liberating, then I think the answer to the question we've been examining is the cost of enlightenment may be enlightenment itself. But I guess that's ultimately a question for you to answer. Ankita's suggested organizations aiding civilians with the pandemic in India are listed in the show notes. Thanks for your support. Astray is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. Today's episode of Astray, Seeker Syndrome, was produced, written, and narrated by me, Caroline Slaughter. Ankita Anand is my co-producer, and Gavi Watts is our supervising producer. Astray was sound produced by Toonwelders, with score and sound design by Jason Shannon, and mix by Harper Harris. Executive producers are Brandon Barr, Brian Lavin, and Elsie Crowley. Thanks for listening. humans. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.